This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. Welcome to Season 3 of the iMarket Podcast. In this season, the theme is around leveraging technology to put the consumer first. My name is Waidera Kabiru, also known as a digital diva, and I will be your host today for this episode. In this episode, we look at insights from the book Shift, a Marketing Rethink by PhD. In this book, industry experts from around the world weigh in on the shifts that have impacted marketing, the effects on the industry, and solutions on how to move forward effectively. Deborah Shepherds will shed light on the findings from the book and share PhD's view on the way forward for a more thriving, robust, and well-informed marketing industry. Deborah Shepherds is a Global Group Strategy Director at PhD Media. She studied fine art and law, but she ended up in media. She has worked on marketing leading brands at major WPP and Omnicon agencies, as well as having had her own media agency. She has deep experience in the alcoholic beverage, automotive, and financial services industries. She was a chief strategy officer at PhD South Africa for a number of years before moving to her current role at PhD Global in London. She's dedicated on the Diageo business now, and she's particularly passionate about insights and data to inform strategy. Welcome, Deborah Shepherds, to the iMarket podcast. So good to have you here today. I'm really excited about this episode uh, because we're going to be discussing one of the most profound or my favorite book that I've actually read this year, which is Shift, a Marketing Rethink by PhD. So to get started, Deborah, can you tell us why PhD, you know, put this book together? There's a lot of work and research that has gone into it. Uh, Why? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I think this is our seventh or eighth book as PhD. Um, PhD, part of the the Omnicom Media Group, for those who aren't familiar. And we have to do thought leadership because we have to be thinking about the future all the time. So all of the books have been looking at um, how to help brands, how to help our clients, but the orientation overwhelmingly is about the future and how to adapt. And I, I think it's a reality all of us find ourselves in that the pace of change is just accelerating. So shift is about a big shift that's happened, and we'll talk about that today and also about the future and what we can do to prepare for it. Absolutely. And other than you know, COVID sort of disrupting a lot of things, not just in marketing, but in various fields. What would you say has been, you know, some of the key shifts that have happened in marketing that uh, we need to be aware about? So, I mean, without beating around the bush, I think it's the the digital revolution that shift focuses on. And I mean, I've been in the industry for more than two decades, so I can speak quite kind of personally about the shift between an analog world and a digital world and what that's meant for marketers and how challenging it's been to shift. I've worked for many years in South Africa and it, it seemed to take a long time for media and marketing to follow the consumer into the digital world. And then when we did, oh boy, it just accelerated. It just kind of the short-term metrics, which is a lot of what the book's about and what we'll talk about today, were so seductive to marketers that they kind of overwhelmed them. So the shift that we're talking about is digital, largely. The consumer's increasing reliance on and interest in digital and how marketers have responded to that, how they've had to respond to that and some of the errors in the ways um, around those responses. 
Yeah. And I'm with you there because I'm also, you know, sort of like an early pioneer in digital and media. And, and in the early days, it was, you know, budgets were just not even being moved into digital yet, you know, we could see the shifts happening. So one of the one of the things that I think mm. you would agree has happened in the last few years is again, the shift in consumer attention. And I'm gonna count how many times we say shift in this podcast. Test. <laughs> okay. Um so if we talk about the shift in consumer attention um, in the past few years, how would you say brands need to be, you know, restructuring, rebuilding, reorganizing for the future? Yeah, well, let me maybe go back a step and talk about what shift you can count that says has happened um, to marketers. And the book talks about this Cambrian explosion um, of digital and all of the big changes that have happened. And it says that as a result of this, marketers find themselves in what it terms a midlife crisis. And that's the scenario that it lays out as a starting point and then looks to try and solve it. And I think if I think of my own experience in media and marketing, one of the reasons that we fell into a midlife crisis as a marketing industry is we've long, or I think many senior marketers have long had a kind of a sense of inadequacy in executive boardrooms because unlike their colleagues, they just didn't have the data to justify their activities or their spends. And marketing has, of course, long been one of the softer areas in board packs. And so this influx of performance metrics that came from digital consumers interacting with our digital media um, and comms, not just having reach metrics for once, but actually having an understanding of, of what was happening, kind of what the impact was, as we said just now, in, incredibly seductive. And we could start proving our worth in those boardrooms. We could start course correcting in real time. It was like a fast feedback loop for the first time. And I mean, in South Africa, again, referring to my experience there, um, I think some of this was held back because of the high cost of data um, and it just took forever to properly take hold but once it did it it was addictive so as marketers we started charting our metrics from the rooftops we were proving ourselves everywhere with what we were getting from digital and in retrospect it's easy to see how we fell into traps probably kind of two main areas of traps. The first being that we lost sight of the full picture of marketing. I mean, marketing is about everything from pricing to where your product is. And we became very focused on the last click conversion. And that is 1% of the story about how the consumer connects to the brand. That moment of clicking has got so much before it, so much comes before it um, in their mind. And looking at only that one last click, because that's the data you have, is dangerous. It creates a dangerous short-termism. And I mean, I think we've made this even worse by setting KPIs and incentivizing people on short-term metrics and on a short-term basis. So in many marketing organizations, you see this. Um, it's a reality that people will make decisions based on how their bonuses are structured. So there will be a very kind of intense focus on short-term delivery without a full picture of creating brand demand um, over the long term. And the second trap I think we fell into was we stopped seeing our consumers as people. I mean, marketing is the most fascinating of industries to be in because you've got all the data, but you've also got these human beings who have motivations and dreams and desires. And we stopped seeing that full picture and just started seeing them as numbers. So I would say we are in a full-blown midlife crisis as um, as marketers, and we're yearning for kind of those slower, more consistent metrics that told the same story. We're starting to wake up and and see the balance that's that's needed. But again, the pace of change is so dramatic that it makes it difficult for us to respond. So Shift says, 
as a starting premise, we're in a midlife crisis. It makes a lot of sense to me why this has happened. I can see it in my own kind of career and experience, this um, this change, or trying not to say shift, thinking for other words here. Um, <laughs> and it lays out the archetypes. And excuse me, I don't know if that's something you want to get into in, in this podcast, but we could talk about that a bit if you like. Absolutely. Let's do that. In fact, before we get to the archetypes, I mean, just, you know, thinking about what you're saying around the midlife crisis and you haven't, you know, worked on the continent in Africa, do you see that that crisis is as pronounced in, you know, a lot of the African markets, this midlife crisis, or would you say that maybe we're not, you know, as uh, affected then just because of, you know, maybe data has not been there or, you know, the maturity levels in terms of digital media? I, I think, I mean, I think we probably have been as affected. I mean, I, I spoke about the cost of broadband and kind of a, a slowness to to see the proliferation of digital media in South Africa and, you know, in, in some other markets in um, on the continent. That would also be true. But I think marketers by nature want to prove themselves they they want to show their relevance so where there were metrics i think we we reached out and we we grabbed them it doesn't matter which um, which country you were sitting in so i i think it is as true and if we look at some of the archetypes i mean we don't have time to talk about all of them today but they all talk about how people have responded to a changing environment and one of them the madonna if i could just use that as an example the primary condition of the madonna is distraction and i mean we all know madonna just reinvent herself like it's been going on for decades and with distraction comes like an overfocus on the next big thing rather than thinking about the business today and I think that is as true um, in an organization in Kenya as it is in the US or in or in London um, marketers are trying to do the very best that they can and so they're they're reading what they can and they're um, getting the latest in the marketing publications and whatever the next big buzzword is is at risk of overshadowing what the business really needs. So lots of reinvention that, you know, the kind of things that can get you recognition in the marketing world, but the buzzwords can be at the expense of the actual business. And I don't think it matters what size the business is either, as well as where it is. The, the To continue the Madonna example, the practical solution there is to build a measurement framework that links up your business KPIs to the outcomes or the marketing outputs. And what you're really trying to do is get everybody on the same page. And that is, I mean, that's almost like that's what happens when you put human beings in charge of a lot of money. I don't think that is distinct to one market or yeah, or to a specific continent. It's true everywhere. Okay. And then, and it goes back to what you said earlier around, you know, the four P's of marketing that mm. are we focusing only just on the promotional piece, the short term, you know, part of it and not really spending a lot of time on pricing, on product, on distribution. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think I think we have. We've we've lost focus and we've gone for the thing that we can control the easiest. And I spoke earlier about how we've kind of zoned in on the 1%, which is the last click. We've zoned in on advertising. And I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot at, at PhD and that I talk a lot about in my daily life, I, I work on the Agio um, as a brand. And the obsession is really about understanding the whole consumer journey. And that is across paid, owned and earned because your experience of a brand isn't just the advertising you see, it's how it shows up on shelf, how it shows up in the consumption environment. Sometimes that on shelf experience is the only experience you'll have with a brand because you won't see the ad because you, you know, you're a light TV viewer, whatever the case might be. So that has really got to be, it's got to be on point. It's got to be joined up. Yeah, so it's not, I think, not just about the last click. We've, we've got to think a lot more holistically about, in the simplest terms, how to connect brands, our brands, to 
consumers and that starts with a proper understanding of the consumer yeah and and as you know because you do work on the azure a lot of things to build salience you know the principles we follow is both mental availability and physical availability there are a lot of mm. brands um in africa i'll speak about kenya um where the the brand is physically almost available you know almost 100 percent distribution and that really helps the salience so even when mm. you know advertising is is paused it's it doesn't have a huge impact. It has it has an impact, but the fact that the brand is physically available. Agreed. And I think we tend to forget that sometimes. Can you tell me about any Agreed. other archetype that you think, you know, we fall into? So there's five. So there's the Harry Houdini, the Madonna, the Donald, which is Donald Trump, the King Henry VIII, and the Christopher Columbus. And it's they all have their own unique problems. They, they are the human traps that we fall into and that we're falling into as a result of this change. And then they look at kind of the way to get out of it. So I spoke about the Madonna and the Madonna's problem is distraction. I love the Donald because um, I think a lot, a lot of people are in the trap of the Donald. The thing about the Donald is you know a little bit about something and you think you know everything about it. Um, and it, it links back to the problem with buzzwords um, and people um, kind of latching on to something. So the risk with the Donald is you think you understand something that's fundamental to marketing, something like kind of an IPA piece on the long and the short of it, or, you know, Byron Sharp's work, but you actually didn't read the book. You've just read like a little summary. And that is that is really dangerous as well, not properly understanding. And marketers, I mean, we are bad. We love buzzwords. We love the latest topic. And sometimes we are tempted to lack the rigor that is required for handing large budgets and this big responsibility of connecting brands to consumers. Good, thank you. Speaking of, you know, functional capabilities, you know, according to, you know, research, again, still by, you know, I think PhD put this out, 49% of marketing leaders say that knowledge of the latest marketing technology tools is the number one skill set that they need their teams to survive in the future. However, only 50% of these leaders say they have little or no knowledge of what these tools can do. So that's quite disarming because we're saying, you know, this is the sort of capability or technical or functional, you know, way we want marketers to go to be able to be relevant for the brands in the future, but there's a gap in getting there. So what should marketers sort of be aware of in, in accelerating their use of marketing technology to be successful? So there's an amazing video that's narrated in the book. It's narrated by uh, Mark Ritson, who is a kind of a name that many people listening to this will know. And it it's like a, a simulated therapy session. So it's a therapy session, like a marriage counseling session between the brand and the marketer as the best description and the consumer. And the consumer feels that the marketer or the brand has stopped listening to them and stopped seeing the real them because they think they know everything. And why do marketers think they know everything? Because we've got digital metrics. So we're clinging on to that. And at the same time, the marketer feels that the consumer has become increasingly disloyal and has begun seeing other people. And this plays out really like a fraught marriage session. It's kind of brilliantly shot. There's lots of emotion. There's like the tense knuckles and the tight jaw lines. And if you've ever had like a relationship where you felt you needed to talk to somebody, this you'll relate to this video. And the, the biggest takeout for me is when the consumer says to the marketer, but you're not seeing the full picture of who I am. You are just looking at TikTok metrics and you're not looking at the whole me. You don't understand. I actually still watch TV, linear TV. 
I consume all sorts of media types. And to what you were saying earlier, I see the brand in store and that's how I form a perception of it. It's a whole other me. And just because I like someone or follow them uh, on a social media platform doesn't mean that they're an influence on me. It doesn't mean I even agree with them. Sometimes I follow them because they're famous and I want to know what's going on. It, they really aggravate me. It doesn't mean that I'm going to do what they say. So in other words, there's a human behind the data that the marketers are looking at and a much bigger story and motivation is a really big, a really big part of that story. So I think kind of to answer your question about MarTech, the way to think about that is to start with data and look at how much data you have in the form of first party data, which some categories will have a huge amount of and some will battle to collect. And how much could you enrich that with second party data? And then what do you understand about third party data? And I mean, your starting point again for data is what what you want to do with it. What do you need to understand about your consumer and, and how could you use data deployed through marketing technology to make your marketing better? So if you put the consumer first, you can start to think about what will move the needle for you. I mean, at PhD, we believe, as does Baron Sharp, that we should reach all category buyers at all times. So we're never going to do incredibly tight targeting. And there's a tension when we start talking about MarTech and a temptation to go, well, does that mean we're going to have really, really small kind of audiences that we're creating bespoke comms for? The, the digital marketing laser is more about relevance than it is about reach. And that's when it becomes really powerful. So you're going to reach all of the people, but you've got to reach them with the right message in the right context. Context, incredibly important word here, in the right mindset and, and at the right time. And I think once you've thought about the data that you would need to do that and, and how you can deploy it, then you can look where it's coming from. And that video that I spoke about earlier shows that TikTok is not going to give you the full story. So I'm just, I'm just saying TikTok, but you know what I mean? Like looking at, just looking at a couple of digital stats, not going to help you understand that full consumer journey again and, and motivation. There are many touch points and there are many data trails that consumers are leaving. So what data beyond the surface of just who they like on Instagram, can you join up? What different pieces of data that they're leaving behind can you join up to give you the picture of them that you need? Um, and then how can you deploy it again across multiple touch points because these are human beings moving through their lives? So I think the answer to any question about uh, MarTech has to be go back a step to data and then go back to the starting point, which must be the consumer. Okay. So you, you mentioned the fact that marketers and agencies really need to be consumer first, leveraging data to truly understand the consumers. I feel that consumer first phrase is also, you know, a buzzword. What does it really mean to be consumer first? And I say that because I think as brands, maybe we think we're consumer first, but we're brand first or organization led. Mm. What does it really mean? Oh, that is such a difficult question because it is a buzzword. I mean, one of the things that we do as marketers is we completely overestimate the importance of our brands. So any brand out approach assumes that the consumer is completely locked into all of our comms. The reality about consumer first is about the individual consumer, but I think it starts with recognizing the reality of someone's life and they are not watching your ad with the greatest of interest. They are thinking about what they're going to have for supper and they're worrying about what they have to do at work or what's going on in their lives, their, you know, relationship issues, their kids' issues, whatever it is. I mean, people have got a million things on their mind at any given time. And as a brand, you've got to nudge your way into that space. So 
understanding the consumer, I think, starts with understanding that the consumer cares a whole lot less than we'd like to think. And I mean, that is why broad reach of categories starts to make a ton of sense and tight targeting doesn't. Because if you've got lots and lots of people who are um, disloyal, they they do kind of engage with the repertoire of brands and they, they don't just follow you fanatically because they love your brand so much. As marketers, we love our brands so much. The consumers are paying much less attention than we think. So that that's probably the starting point. To be consumer first, you have to know that they don't care as much as we'd like to think. Would you say the way we are structured, let's get into sort of client agency relationships. Mm. Are the structures of today relevant for ensuring that we're consumer first with all that's happening with data and technology, the current client agency relationships we have? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the answer is it's changing in the book shift Mark Holden, who's the, the head of strategy for PhD across the globe and was the main author, um, he speaks about a much more modular approach being required. And, and one of the concepts that he puts forward is agency as a platform. So he's saying you shouldn't have like a dedicated set of FTEs on every account. And I mean, the same would apply in a marketing organization on the, the client side as opposed to the agency side. You should have a flexibility. You should have a kind of an ability to move people, specialists in and out of teams and deploy them to where they need it the most. So the future of the organization, I think, is about being more adaptable. There is a lot in the book about talent and skills, and you know, perhaps we can expand on that. But structurally, the key learning is be able to move people around. So even strategic consulting, he talks about being able to take teams of specialists on and off different pieces of um, kind of project work as they're required so that you've got the best skills rather than just the people that are scoped um, on that particular area of the business. Mark Holden also says in the book, you know, that, um, you know, due to the various shifts that have happened over the last 10 years, organizations also need to relook at how they are structured internally. What's a book point of view in terms of in-housing versus outsourcing certain functions or certain skills? Yeah, I think that it depends on, on the organization. I think agencies have often seen clients in-housing businesses a huge threat. It doesn't have to be. And the perspective in the book on that is you should you should take people from within the agency where those specialist skills are or wherever they might be, because you'd, you'd always have a multitude of agencies and you should have the modularity and the flexibility to be able to second them or move them into your organization as you need them and take them out. So it shouldn't be seen by the agency as something that means the business has been taken away. The lens should be where are the specialist skills most needed and how can we help as a broader collective of client and multiple agencies to resource that and enable that and again bring it in um, and have the flexibility around bringing things in that perhaps we don't have as they're required as kind of this pace of change continues to accelerate yeah absolutely and still on that topic um also in the book um isabel massey who's the global media head at diageo talks about mm. borderless partnerships with clients and mm. agencies should have how has phd been able to achieve this in africa 
and you could use Diage as example. Yeah, I mean, I think she's talking about exactly that, about making sure that you've got the right skills in the right place. To be honest, I can't speak about how that's looking in Africa specifically. I mean, we've seen a number of examples in global where people work for PhD, but they're based at Diageo, where specialist teams are seconded onto projects, and a couple of really, really big projects going on at the moment. And there was expertise sitting within PhD or within the broader Omnicom group. And again, I mean, not, not to speak specifically about Omnicom, all agency groups would have a number of areas of expertise under under their roof. Um, so it has been about moving, kind of moving those areas in and out um, as needed and building multidiscipline teams as well. So having people from different specialist areas that are working closely together rather than just coming in as kind of spokes on a wheel of a project, but sharing knowledge. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the ability for real agility, especially when, you know, mm. certain, you know, you know, in Africa, we work, we always say we work in VUCA environments, very volatile, anything yeah. could happen. Um, but I think it, it helps with organizations being able to be agile and saying, these are the skill sets or the, the areas where we need, you know, more, uh, more priority versus, yeah. you know, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, maybe we could talk a bit more about the second part of that agility. So the first is structural, the modularity, and, and the second is uh, is skills and, and talent. And I think, I mean, we all feel this, that we, we're a completely intangible asset-based businesses in, in marketing. We All that we've, we've really got is kind of our, our people. We, we've got a product at the end of it, but what we have as value is the talent and the I mean, PhD and kind of the contents of the book show like a, a real seriousness about understanding what change is coming in order to equip us to make the best decisions about talent going forward. So the book talks about how to prepare for the future um, and how we have to start hiring in the right skills now. An example of a role that's discussed as a conversational AI developer. So this is something which is embryonic now. It would kind of make it would make sense if I kind of described to you what what a lot of the roles in the book are and you'd go, well, you know, we've got that. We've, we've got that. But you, you might have a little bit of it. And and that's right, because in in kind of our experience, if you don't see a glimmer of a thing now, it means it's not going to fully come to fruition. So there are glimmers of these things all over the place, but the the opportunity is um, hiring now because that role is going to be in full demand. The need will have become full swing in 12 to 18 months. And if you can equip your company now, it's real competitive advantage. I mean, you would be thinking, what are they? Um, and there's a huge list of them in the book. A lot of them are technology-based. So things like a gaming commerce expert or an influencer programmatic team. I mean, those speak to um, becoming better at deploying technology. But there's also this emphasis that you've referred to on more flexible specialization and having these teams that can move seamlessly on and off projects rather than being dedicated to one thing. So you have to keep your eye on the horizon, I suppose. And HR has to be thinking ahead. I mean, we should be thinking about what's it going to look like in 2025 now and starting to recruit and starting to develop and starting to train. And then I think starting to um, integrate as well and get the teams, the rest of the teams on board, get them to understand. It's, I mean, it's one of the things that I think many companies battle with. They've hived digital off into its own little specialization. And then you've got kind of everybody else and digital. But again, it's about the consumer and the consumer lives across the world. So 
those everybody else's need to understand what's happening in digital and the digital guys need to understand what the everybody else's are all about. It's, it is one experience that the consumer has at the end of the day. Yeah, that's really interesting in terms of, you know, skills and talent, because the traditional marketer, you know, was that a traditional marketer, a generalist. And now mm. we're saying the marketer mm. of today, not even tomorrow, uh, mm. should have specialist skills. And they're evolving so fast. Like you really need to be, you know, one up, you know, to really be relevant to the consumer, as we said. Yeah, and yeah. difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things the books touch or the book touches on that I think is, is very relevant in, in our organization and probably right now in a lot of marketing organizations is retail media or e-com. So you have a team. We have a team of e-com specialists and then we've got everybody else, <laughs> could e-com, digital and everybody else. And Steve Madder writes in the book about how challenging this is. And I went and chatted to him to kind of prepare for this conversation to understand more about what, what he was thinking. And he said, it's like a really uncomfortable intersection right now. So we've got this acceleration of retail media and there's a kind of a meeting point between our largest media platforms and our most strategic re retail partners and it's a new language for marketeers it's a new capability for commercial teams and there are a bunch of questions coming up um, and i see it in our day-to-day -day. so which team owns the strategy is a question where does the budget come from there's a question so does everybody does the everybody else group allocate a bit of budget to retail media you know where's that decision made how do we make sure we're spending the right amount of money what are the appropriate levels of budget um, and how do we get integration right up to the briefing process so how do we get kind of the commercial opportunity realized right up front and he talks about the fact that we're in an adolescent stage right now and that kind of the analogy he used when I was talking to him was muscle memory so he said we've we've got scale we've got successful businesses and they're based on building muscle memory because we do what we know what to do processes and culture but suddenly we've got this new thing that's getting in the way of of the muscle memory and the way that everything is always kind of operated and all, again all these human beings who don't like change are having to relearn how they do things and parts of the business want to run at a million miles an hour but the risk is we kind of trip up or crash over walls and it's to be expected because we haven't done this before so I mean, his perspective on it is it's a slow process, but we've got to embed the learning. We've got to properly embed the learning across the organization. So again, the everybody else has have to understand kind of the Steves. And we've got to get the new ways of working into our core business so that we've got muscle memory for the future. If we think of everything new, and, and retail media is probably the biggest new thing right now, as an add-on. Um, we're in trouble. It's got to become part of the whole. We've got to become fitter. We've got to get muscle memory fit um, and faster. Fantastic. Gosh, thank you so much, Deborah, for your point of view, your thoughts on shift, a marketing rethink. Really great having you here today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM.